Welcome to the VP Live Network. Your 30-second countdown has begun. This show is intended for adults of legal smoking age, and as such, the content is not intended for viewers and listeners under the age of 18. Vapor's Place is in no way responsible for the opinions of any host on the VP Live Network. Please grab a vape, sit back, and enjoy the show. everybody what's going on uh boy i could hear that funny hold on does my audio sound funny maybe my headphones are just fucked up my headphones are probably fucked up because that kind of shit just happens um so this is going to be a pretty short show this evening i will tell you that right now yes, sure. okay. oh jesus she was loud four three two go away is she gone? Yeah. <laughs> Hello. The obnoxious British lady. God, I absolutely treasure that woman. I just can't begin to tell you how much I treasure that bitch. I find her very annoying. Um Yeah, yeah, and it goes it stands to reason that um FDA loves the British lady. Everybody else finds her annoying as shit. Um, so it's going to be a really short show. My buddy Jibba is finishing off his St. Baldrick's fundraiser tonight with the shave-a-thon. All these people shaving their heads bald. And I plan to be there, um, to support him in this endeavor because I like it a lot. Um, not the fact that they're all shaving their heads bald. Um, just that he raises money to fight childhood cancer research. So, um, so this is going to be a short one. Just letting you know that up front. I also have to remind you people, there will not be a Jeannie K show next week. Um, oh, no, it is. No, there is next week. Yeah, there is next week. Never mind, I lied. In two weeks, there will not be a Jeannie K show. Two weeks from today. So, next week will be DIY night, like the second Thursday of the month always is. Um, what did I have? Oh, I got, uh some really interesting information uh, from the wonderful Mr. Bill Godshall. I absolutely uh, I uh, think that the smartest thing I've ever done is to get on this man's email list. The FDA webinar on March 24th at 2pm to delineate agency's 2007 substantial equivalence policy to exclude 90, over 99.9% of vapor products from the SE pathway if deeming regs and bans are imposed to further increase withdrawals and rejections of SE substantial equivalent applications filed since 2011 and to not review standard <coughs> substantial equivalent applications filed more than four years ago for virtually all cigarette brands on the market. Yay, there are links to that. I will copy and paste the links into chat. <clears throat> this is not good. Yeah, Glance, Glance is a jackass. But anyway. Uh, that's for the webinar. Uh, he's got the... Um... Oh, I don't want the FDA, 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 FDA. <laughs> the FDA updates the label for Chantix. To include potential alcohol interaction, risk of seizures, and Pfizer studies of side effects on mood behavior or thinking. 
Who fucking would have guessed that? Um, Bill Godchill testifies at the FDA on the 10th of last month at the uh, workshop. He's got a link in here for that. Um, CASA, by the way, CASA is still begging people to turn in their testimonials and their comments about the FDA. Um, do, 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 do. I'm going to copy and paste that link too. And I have a really, really good story that I had heard about and searched and searched and searched. And thank you very much to my wonderful friend, Margot, for finding me the link that is not paywalled. Um, there, Sally Sattel is a contributor that writes for Forbes, and she usually writes about the intersection of medicine and culture. Now, she has not been a fan of ours, but I have to tell you, she wrote a very good article in Forbes, and it was released yesterday. It says, people who get paid by big tobacco should, should be able to advise the FDA. It says, a few weeks ago, the FDA was forced to remove four researchers from, from its influential tobacco product scientific advisory committee. The committee plays a crucial role in providing advice, information, and recommendations to the FDA commissioner on the science of tobacco and its implications for regulation. The shape the shakeup came at the order of federal judge Richard J. Leon of the United States District Court for the District of Columbia. Judge Leon concluded that select committee members, including the chairman, were so heavily beset by conflicts of interest that they could not be trusted to deploy sound scientific judgment. The judge's decision stemmed from a 2010 complaint filed by tobacco companies Laurelard America and Reynolds America. The complaint was aimed partly at the unseating. The complaint was aimed partially at unseating specific TPSAC members, who the companies argued had conflicts of interest by virtue of the millions of dollars in grant money, consulting fees, and expert witness work they collectively received over the years from pharmaceutical companies, also called sponsors. Who'd have guessed that? Because those pharmaceutical companies make and market anti-smoking aids such as nicotine patches, gum, and anti-smoking medication Chantix, the plaintiffs reason that any advisor who accepts their funding will likely be biased against tobacco interests. Likely? Likely? I think lightly is a pretty light word to use there. Lorillard and Reynolds prevailed last July when Judge Leanne ruled that four members of financial conflicts of interest represented a violation of federal ethics laws. He also ruled that a report on menthol cigarettes by TPSAC, which was the actual focus of the lawsuit, could not be relied upon by the FDA. The members' financial ties, according to the judge, irrevoc irrevocably tainted the advisory committee's very composition and its work product is 
at minimum suspect and at worst untrustworthy. Uh, while she agrees that the membership of TPSAC was problematic, her reason is entirely different from the judges. In her view, the real problem with the committee makeup was not, as the judge indicated, that members receiving support from pharmaceutical companies were reflectively conflicted, but rather that TPSAC had initially welcomed the service of those members while they barred entry to any investigator who accepted support from tobacco interests or who did so within the 18-month period prior to applying for membership. The assumption behind the FDA's inconsistent policy, of course, is based on the misconception that merely accepting financial support from tobacco interests, but never from pharmaceutical interests, mind you, automatically disables one's capacity to make sound evidence-based decisions surrounding tobacco regulation. This is an indefensible double standard on the part of a federal agency. She thinks it derives from the misbegotten conceit that anyone who accepts funding from tobacco sponsors is somehow pro-smoking. In reality, most researchers who accept grants from tobacco interests are working just as hard to reduce smoking. It is just that their topic of study is smokeless tobacco. And she hopes soon e-cigarettes, whose nicotine comes from tobacco, as a route to smoking cessation. In this context, being pro-tobacco is perfectly consistent with advancing public health. I would really have to agree with her. Of particular interest is Swedish snus, a snus a style of smokeless tobacco available in the U.S. Smokeless tobacco is estimated to be 99% less harmful than smoking. The Swedish version, which is conveniently available in spitless teabag-like pouches, has been the subject of over two decades of epidemiological data. Less is available about the American versions, though it shows similar results. Thanks to its use, Sweden now has the lowest rate of smoking-related disease in Europe, the world's lowest rate of lung cancer in males, and one of the lowest mouth cancer rates in the EU. But, oh yes, yeah, nuss is a bad thing, right? Uh, apparently not. Oh, and the phones are on, by the way. So, if anybody feels like they want to call into the show, be my guess the phones are on oh wait i take that back if you're a martian teleporter please don't call in i don't want to have to go through the trauma the mental trauma that jan has had to endure over teleporters oh uh, says um research on smokeless tobacco is an important public health contribution Consider examples of investigations made possible by grants from tobacco manufacturers to researchers, universities, or to the scientists themselves. The danger of misinformation that might convince smokeless tobacco users to switch to smoking conducted by an oral pathologist at the University of Louisville and a researcher at the University of Alberta. The value of tobacco harm reduction by workers at the University of Texas Houston the use of smokeless snus as an effective method to quit smoking, 
the relationship of smokeless tobacco to lung cancer by investigators at the University of Surrey in the UK, among others. Conflict of interest is a vexing subject. Policies are generally born much of much soul-searching, hand-wringing, and hair-splitting, and often have unintended consequences. To be sure, all agencies want to insulate their advisors from personal and professional loyalties or other factors that might erode a neutral stance toward the data. Well, the problem is there is not a neutral stance towards the data. That's the problem. All of these researchers seem to be setting out with a goal in mind, and that goal is to sling as much mud as they possibly fucking can. And that's exactly what they're doing. Stanton Glantz has how many times, how many times has that batshit crazy man drawn conclusions that his data didn't support? Nothing in his study has proven the conclusions that he came out with. But he's still being funded. And people are going, oh, well, this study said it in the conclusion. He points it right out. Well, just because he says in the conclusion that this is a fact does not mean that the study showed that this was a fact. It just means he's running off at his fucking mouth. Kind of like I do here. No damn different. (sighs) As a researcher, your data needs to prove your conclusions. And we see every single day people spitting out facts like, oh, I don't know, the California Department of Health, that they're just making shit up. (sighs) So anyway, (laughs) but it is easy to go too far in the pursuit of purity. In fact, many have urged a zero-tolerance policy for advisory committee members in commercial ties. And this would be a disaster. A no-ties rule would force the FDA to recruit outside outsides from a sm- far smaller pool of experts. You'd be getting the second best and the almost brightest, says Peter Pitts, a former associate commissioner for external relations at the FDA and policy advisor to the commissioner. A 2007 study involving 124 members participating in 16 FDA advisory meetings found that members received high levels of support from pharmaceutical companies, had more years of experience in their fields, and more contributions to peer-reviewed literature compared to members who are funding free. Well, you know why that is? That's because the people that are funding free are busy working their fucking ass off to try to get their bills paid. The people getting all of this money from tobacco companies and pharmaceutical companies, they're kind of guaranteed their paycheck. And they can afford big fancy things. Just saying. (laughs) And Upstomp is sitting there going, I can't believe she just said that. Oh, good lord. Yeah, no. No, no, no. Don't don't do any of that. Yeah, no. Jeannie is nothing but a loud mouth. I know what I am, and I know how smart I'm not. So I would not go calling me anything beyond a dumbass. Um, it says, Evidence suggested that the funding increases risk of bias on members' decision-making is a mixed. A 2006 paper in the Journal of American Medical Association Meanwhile, found that excluding advisory committee members 
and voting consultants with conflicts would not have altered the overall vote outcome at any of the meetings studied. The FDA reanalyzed the JAMA data and found that members with financial ties to companies actually tend to vote against it. Well, that just makes all kinds of sense that they would come to that conclusion. Another 2014 study, which looked at over 15,000 FDA advisory committee member votes between 97 and 2011, painted a more complex picture. With about half of all meetings had at least one participant with such a financial interest, the data showed that members with connections to one company or sponsor are somewhat more likely to vote for approval at 63%. Members with no attachments to sponsor a 52% chance. This modest modest preference rose to 84% if the member served on the company's board or steering committee. Huh. That's shocking, isn't it? Not so much. Uh, More intriguing was the observation that the voting behavior of the members, with links to more than one company, including board membership, was comparable to colleagues without any ties. This suggests that support from multiple sources cancels out preferences for any given sponsor. It also suggests that perhaps the FDA should require sole sponsored members or, at the very least, sponsor board members to recuse themselves from voting but not from group deliberation when that company's product is under consideration. As for the TS, the TPA, SAC, it must follow Judge Leon's order, but a longer view of conflict of interest and advisory practices should lead to a more inclusive scenario wherein TPSAC welcomes any talented investigator who is wedded to norms of scientific fair play and is mature enough to suppress bias. This extends to investigators with financial relationships of all kinds, including tobacco interests. Yes, there should be some exceptions. See here for conflicts with direct and predictable effects. Uh, And let me see what this says. Because I didn't read that link. The emphasis on members' capabilities to adopt a neutral stance is imperative. It highlights the fact that an advisor's judgment is just not as prone to collapse, if not more prone to falter under the weight of strong normative bias. That is how one thinks health policy should work. Um, Advocates of harm reduction advance a pragmatic stance that tolerates the use of nicotine in the form of smokeless tobacco or electronic cigarettes because doing so greatly minimizes the harm of smoking. It is worth special mention here that the investigators who pioneered the study of tobacco harm reduction, such as those working on smokeless tobacco, were consistently refused research support from government agencies. Thus, they were compelled to ask the industry for funding. Investigating innovative methods to reduce the toll of smoking has thus far mainly relied on industry funding. Anti-harm reductionists, also also called tobacco prohibitionists, or the ants as we call them, see no virtue in making nicotine use less harmful. Only complete abstinence is acceptable to them. 
Given the long history of tobacco industry deception, such advocates assert that there can be no room for compromise when it comes to a product in which big tobacco has any interest. Wrote Amy Friedman and Ronald Bayer, both of Columbia University's School of Public Health, in Science last January. Are we surprised there? No, we're not surprised. We're not surprised. A strong anti-harm reduction mindset could easily sway members' assessment of the risk of smokeless tobacco and e-cigarettes. Really? Oh, my God. So, what I don't get is, it's okay when they do it, but anybody else, it's bad. Okay, all right, well, what, 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 whatever. That's why we call them ants. These are the people that want to control your life. They want to control what you eat. They want to control what you smoke. They want to control the air that you breathe. They want to control whether you can have a fucking barbecue in your yard. <sighs> if TPSAC were to have pro and anti-harm reductionist among its members, the advisory committees would have to function as a team of rivals, and it would be open for anyone to see. Thanks to federal sunshine laws, <laughs> commercial ties that are made public in the FDA, FDA advisory meetings are open to the public. Anyone can observe the proceedings. Members of the media, financial analysts, patient groups, individuals, and politicians can attend TPSAC meetings, which are recorded and transcribed for the public. Sources of funding are public, too. The public confidence in the recommendations of federal advisory committees is vital for, to the functioning of governmental institutions. Judge Leon was right to conclude that the committee was poorly composed, but that was because it was exclusionary, not because members accepting support from pharmaceutical companies were necessarily conflicted. Instead, both the judge and the FDA subscribe to the myth that commercial ties are inevitability corrupting. By operating under this phase of conclusion, the FDA sealed itself off from groups of scientists whose knowledge and perspectives are critical to the development of wise tobacco regulation. Now, you have to keep in mind, this woman has served as an expert witness in tobacco litigation. So this is somebody that has pretty much been on the other side of the fence. So, you know, the fact that somebody from the other camp can say that there's a problem, and the problem is scientists with any kind of tobacco backing are being their results are being written off solely because of where their funding comes from well if that's the case then there isn't anything that glance puts out that's anti-tobacco that should be given any weight either because there is a lot of that man's funding comes from big pharma comes from Big Pharma in the anti-smoking campaigns. This is how this man gets paid every fucking week. So, you know, 
What the hell? Uh, Carl Fritt, uh, yeah, Dr. Carl Phillips is working on a paper, The Gateway Effects, Why the Cited Evidence Does Not Support Their Existence for Low-Risk Tobacco Products and What Evidence Would. Um, Dr. Farsalinos was interviewed by the UAE newspaper about e-cigs prior to the uh, WCTOH conference. So, if you're not on Bill Gatchel's email list, I suggest you get on it. Um, because Bill sends me all kinds of really good information all the time. It's a shit ton of reading. I would bet you there are probably... Thirty links in this this week, and I get this update from Bill constantly, constantly. Um, Casa has issued a call to action that urges people to support support Texas Bill HB six forty seven. It's a pretty clean bill, and it is to ban vapor product sales to minors. So they're asking us to support this ban. Um, you know, when when a ban is solely written to keep minors from having e-cigarettes, I don't have a problem supporting them. If you do have a problem supporting that, that is completely your right and privilege. I do not blame you one little bit. Everybody's opinion matters. Well, for the most part. Dr. Michael Siegel. (laughs) The rest of the story. Tobacco and alcohol news analysis and commentary. The complete blindness of some e-cigarette opponents... Renormalize the renormalization hypothesis devise def oh fuck. All right, let's back up. Let me try to read that title again. The complete the complete blindness of some e-cigarette opponents. Renormalization hypothesis defies science and logic. Ideology prevents them from thinking straight. In a position statement on electronic cigarettes published by the Canadian Pediatric Society, Dr. Richard Stanwick, its past president, opines that the electronic cigarettes are a new gateway to smoking that will renormalize smoking by representing smoking as a socially acceptable public practice. Later in the same statement, Dr. Stanwick complains that both the size and value of the e-cigarette industry are expanding rapidly. Currently estimated to be worth more than $2 billion in the United States alone, e-cigarette sales are expected to surpass conventional cigarette sales over the next decade. 
Stanwick goes on to state that health advocates have achieved truly historic success in curbing tobacco use through a variety of effective public policy interventions. Um, fuck you. No, you're wrong, dude. E-cigarettes have the potential to undermine this framework. Ah, fuck you, dude. And the rest of the story is... This same argument has been repeated by many groups and advocates that oppose electronic cigarettes. And the rest of the story is that the argument is ridiculous. It makes no sense, is illogical, and is internally inconsistent. If electronic cigarette sales surpass conventional cigarette sales over the next decade, as Dr. Stanwick seems to predict, then electronic cigarettes will go down in history as the single most effective intervention ever to reduce cigarette smoking. Imagine a 50% drop in cigarette consumption. That would be an unprecedented public health victory. Never before has any public health or anti-smoking intervention resulted in a smoking reduction of that magnitude. Moreover, if cigarette sales are cut in half, then smoking will be completely denormalized. Nothing denormalizes smoking more than having very few people smoking. You can't have it both ways. You can't argue that an electronic cigarettes are a huge gateway to smoking that is going to renormalize smoking and at the same time acknowledge that electronic cigarette sales are going to reduce cigarette sales in half over the next decade. The argument makes no sense and is internally inconsistent. If electronic cigarettes are so successful as a public health intervention that they take over half of the overall cigarette market, it will be a tremendous public health victory of historic proportions that will have greatly reduced cigarette use, denormalized smoking, and saved lives. This story demonstrates that many electronic cigarette opponents have lost the ability to think straight. I so agree with him on that. I so agree with him. Fucking A. They are so blinded by ideology that they seem incapable of making a coherent argument. They are talking complete nonsense. And in fact, I believe that the reason so many e-cigarette opponents are, take, are talking such nonsense is that they don't have a leg to stand on. They can't rely on the actual scientific evidence and on coherent arguments because the facts do not support the contention that electronic cigarettes are renormalizing smoking. So they are left with crafting nonsense arguments that fly in the face of their own lack of logic. The truth is that electronic cigarettes do appear to be a gateway. A gateway away from smoking and towards vaping. This means that electronic cigarettes are denormalizing smoking. The only thing electronic cigarettes may be normalizing is vaping. The argument that electronic cigarettes are renormalizing smoking makes no sense. It is unsupported by evidence and should be completely abandoned before any more damage is done to the public health. That was posted by Dr. Michael Siegel at 9.17 a.m. Yesterday, I do believe. Maybe it was today. So, 
you know, there is a shit ton of information out there. We just have to know where to find it. And I'll say this one more time. If you're not on Bill Godshall's email list, if you, even if you don't live in the state of Pennsylvania, you don't have to live in the state of Pennsylvania to be on Bill's email list. Get on his email list because he sends me a bucket load of really good information. And it's constantly... Uh, <laughs> FDA-funded Stanton Glance misrepresents findings of more than a dozen studies on e-cigs to falsely claim that smokers who use e-cigs are less likely to quit smoking and to falsely claim e-cigs keep people smoking cigarette. Urges state and local governments to falsely claim e-cigs keep people smoking cigarettes and urges the FDA to further deny e-cig companies of the U.S. constitutional right to truthfully inform consumers about e-cigs. How's that? Oh, Jan's here early. Hi, Jan. Jan's usually in the CASA meeting while I'm doing this show. <laughs> she tries to listen out of one ear. Um... I have the, uh, here, let's listen to this. Followed by, uh, Ray Allen Bergman. This is Jeff Steyer. Thank you. Good, good afternoon. I'm Jeff Steyer. I'm a senior fellow at the National Thank Center you. for Public Policy Research, and I come to you today to encourage you not to pass this, these three bills, and I'll explain why. I'm coming at it in a different context than the business owners. I think... Uh, Representative Alexander, you're correct to do a, a balancing uh, business versus public health. I am here to speak about public health. I don't own a business here. I, I'm, I'm interested in public health. I work for a think tank that advances public health policy. And I don't ask you to believe the previous uh, witnesses, although I think you should, to t who tell you that e-cigarettes are dramatically less safer. Uh, e-cigarettes are dramatically less harmful than cigarettes, even though they have nicotine in them. I am going to read... Uh, to you, and, and my, I have um, submitted comments, uh, submitted uh, an appendix to my testimony that has. Uh, yeah, uh, Mr. I, I don't have your testimony. Did you submit I, yes. it on this bill or maybe another bill? Yes, or? thank you. And, and your, your staff has it and is going to include it. Oh, I okay. For that. And I didn't get um, what organization you're with. I'm sorry, could you repeat that again? I am with the National Center for Public Policy Research, which is a free market-based public policy organization. And who sponsors this public policy research entity? We have over 100,000 current active donors, individuals, trade associations, and some industry. Thank uh, you, who, sir. Who Thank believe, you. And, and I know you, you kind of want to ask a gotcha question, uh, but I am not going to ask you to trust me. I'm going to ask you to trust Mitch Zeller. Uh, Mitch Zeller is the head of the FDA's Tobacco Regulation Division in the Obama administration. And uh, he gave an interview with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation about this very issue. And I want to read to you very briefly what he said and ask you to consider what you're doing today. And Representative Alexander, I think this goes to exactly the points you made, what Mitch Zeller said. And I, and I would love to uh, take, in my, if you have any questions, I'd like to put this in the context of, of what you have raised earlier because I think it's quite relevant. Uh, Mitch Zeller said the other example is if at the end of the day people are smoking for the nicotine but dying from the tar, then there is an opportunity 
for the FDA to come up with, uh, he says, I've been with what I've been calling a comprehensive, and this is important, a comprehensive nicotine regulatory policy that is agency-wide and that is key to something that we call the continuum of risk. Representative Sayers, there is a continuum of risk in nicotine products, according to the Obama administration's top tobacco regulator. And I will summarize. He says, right now, the overwhelming majority of people seeking nicotine are getting it from the deadliest and most toxic delivery system, he writes, and that's the conventional cigarette. But if there is a continuum of risk and there are less harmful ways to get nicotine and the FDA, and I would venture you, are in the business of regulating virtually all of those products, then I think there's an extraordinary public health opportunity for the agency to embrace some of these principles and to figure out how to incorporate it into regulatory policy. So to conclude, what Mitch Zeller is saying is that e-cigarettes are less harmful than cigarettes. This is the Obama administration's top regulator of tobacco products. And what he's saying is when we regulate these products, we have to take into account that they are dramatically less harmful and that it may do good for the public health if people switch from cigarettes to e-cigarettes. Therefore, when we regulate them, we must not regulate them the exact Mr. same Steer, way as tobacco products. Mr. Steer, could you please summarize? Yes. And, uh, my summary is that we have to regulate these products differently than tobacco products, not me saying it, Mitch Zeller saying it. And when it comes to uh, issues of advertising, yes, labeling, yes, flavors, and even where you can vape, I think that goes into this context, and I'd be glad to explain why. Well, thank you very much for your testimony. Does anyone have any questions? Representative Alexander. Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you, sir, for your testimony. Uh, I'm looking up... Um, National Center for Public Policy Research. Would you consider that more of a laissez-faire-leaning organization? Uh, my organization is a free market uh, organization, and we do believe that uh, the free market does have an appropriate role in solving problems. I think e-cigarettes are a fantastic example because according to Mitch Zeller, the, the Obama administration, who is no laissez-faire administration, his view is that e-cigarettes, which were developed by the private sector, the profit-driven private sector, seeking profit, have the opportunity, if regulated properly and differently than tobacco products, even though they have nicotine in them, that those products have the potential, I would argue, to do more good than any warning label, okay. Okay. any tax okay. no, on no, no, cigarettes, no. because yeah. they get people to migrate to what Mitch Zeller at the FDA calls a dramatically less harmful product. Sure, and, and, and we could you know, carry this debate longer, and I, and I don't mean to do that and, and keep going. I just have one, one question real quick. And, and this, I'm asking it on a separate bill, but I'm asking it because just the overall philosophy of you and your, your organization. There was a bill a couple weeks ago about um, banning e-cigarettes on high school grounds um, because you could be 18 years old and use it as a student. You can vape marijuana, what have you, and no one would really know from the smell. How would you or your organization feel about that regulation? Yeah, we're in favor of very limited regulation of e-cigarettes, and when you consider those regulations, you should do what Mitch Zeller is recommending. Okay. It, don't believe me. Believe the FDA top ch chief tobacco regulator in the Obama administration, which is to regulate them and taking into account the different risks. I think that's a reasonable regulation. Okay. But however, other regulations that start going down that slippery slope that make it more difficult for adults cigarette smokers to get flavors is exactly what the FDA's Mitch Zeller was talking about when he said we have to take these into account and have okay. a continuum sure. of risk, recognizing that e-cigarettes are dramatically less harmful. And what I would recommend is I know that people are, un are impatient 
that the FDA is taking so long to regulate these products. But the reason the FDA is taking so long to regulate this, uh, these products is because they're taking into account the science. They're doing studies. They're doing something called the PATH study to see how these products are being used in the real world. So for instance, uh, and Representative Ritter, you had asked this question earlier, that the FDA has, has taken a long time. The reason the FDA is taking so long to regulate e-cigarettes is because the FDA recognizes that they, that they want to regulate it in a way that doesn't restrict or discourage adult cigarette smokers from switching to what the FDA calls a dramatically less harmful product. And because of that, they're doing the studies first, Mitch Zeller says, before regulating. And if you don't have, before you today, the data on how e-cigarettes are being used in the real world, including flavors, then I think that you run the risk of undermining the public health of the citizens of Connecticut, especially the adult smokers who are seeking alternative products. And I think that's where you have to be very careful of acting before the FDA acts and before the science is in. I, and I appreciate that. We could debate this all the rest of the day, so, uh, and maybe even offline. I appreciate it, and, and I understand your philosophy. That's why I asked the question. And, I want to flush out your question. And I welcome that, and I appreciate yeah. questions offline, no. and you can Thank follow you. me on Twitter at Jeff A. Steyer as I continue this conversation <laughs> online. Always a plug. I appreciate it. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, sir. Are there any other questions or comments? If not, thank you for coming today to give your testimony. Thank Next you so is much. Ray Allen. Oops. So there you have that. Yeah. Now I've got it. Bye. Sorry, I had a kid yelling through the door at me. Um, and there is now in that link, by the way. That link to that testimony, I got that from Bill Godgell's email. I'm telling you. So um, I have, Jan sent me something. Oh, Jan, is this going to piss me off? Okay, I'm going to read an article that Jan sent me. It it might piss me off, but I'm going to read it. It's It looks like it's going to piss me off. Uh, this is from Wired Magazine. Oh, yay. Daniel Venton, or Danielle Venton of Wired is who wrote this article. So if this pisses you off, you need... That was in Connecticut, Castello. It was in Connecticut. Um, so if this article I'm going to read to you pisses you off, Danielle Venton of Wired is who you need to be pissed at. Not at me, not at Jan. Please don't shoot the messengers. For nicotine enthusiast. 2015 will be remembered as part of a golden era. Less than 10 years after they were introduced, the United States e-cigarettes have gone relatively unregulated by health agencies with companies and users making their own rules in a nicotine-laced wild west. I already don't like this bitch. E-cigarette companies, oh, and I'm not saying she's a bitch. I'm saying I think she's a bitch. This is my personal opinion and I'm entitled to that. It's not slander. Just saying. And again, Upstump just cringed. <clears throat> E-cigarette companies have been advertising their products to adults and children alike, claiming to help smokers quit while simultaneously promoting lollipop-flavored e-liquids. But now health organizations, including the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, who is lying, and even city-based public health departments are starting to fight back. Not in the form of regulations, but with their own media campaigns. It is a tough fight to pick. 
Nationwide, more than 20 million people, about 1 in 10 adults, have tried e-cigarettes, and plenty of those people have become vaping devotees. That's due, at least in part, to the way e-cig companies have advertised their products. <coughs> Bullshit. Unhindered by the FDA's ad regulations for tobacco products. It's totally out of control, says Stanton Glantz, because he's so trustworthy. Director of the Center for Tobacco Control Research and Education at the University of California, San Francisco. For the first time since 1972, we have recre recreational nicotine being advertised on television and radio. Reminiscent of glamorous smoking ads of the last century, many of the ads feature celebrity endorsements. In a blue ad, Jenny McCarthy flirts with the camera. You know what, people? There isn't anybody under the age of 21 that even knows who the fuck Jenny McCarthy is. While rejoicing that she can now smoke without scaring guys away with her smell. That's because she's at a fucking bar. Oh yeah, there's nobody under 21 in there either. Marketing to children. And many of them seem shockingly child-centric. The youth use is exploding in parallel to the marketing, says Glance. Now, you know, we should really keep in mind that this is the asshole who does studies and draws conclusions that none of his data supports. So, yeah, he is who we should listen to. I don't fucking think so. What's a concerned public health agency to do? Fight ads with ads. There is a picture here of... <laughs> The California ad, e-cigarettes pose risks to health, turn kids into addicts, and give big tobacco big opportunities. Wake up. <sighs> That's from Still Blowing Smoke, of course. Health advocates were relatively slow to react to the onslaught of e-cigarettes, but recently national, state, and city-level public health organizations have launched their own campaigns against e-cigarettes and their promiscuous advertising. On March 30th, the CDC began making its first anti-smoking campaign featuring e-cigarette users. Last week, the California Department of Public Health launched an anti-vaping campaign called Still Blowing Smoke, which, of course, we countered with not blowing smoke. Thank you, Stefan. In January, the San Francisco Department of Health launched Curbit, pointing out the dangers of e-cigs and their brazen plays to hook kids while warning residents that vaping is only allowed in the same places as smoking. Oh, that's right. Kerbit was derailed too, wasn't it? Wasn't Kerbit? Yeah, Kerbit got all... Yeah, Kerbit went sideways on him. There's plenty of evidence behind the campaign's claims. Studies that link e-cigs to asthma, lung inflammation, MRSA infection, and exposure to harmful chemicals. But with scant data on the long-term health effects of e-cigarettes and their usefulness as a quitting tool, because, oh yeah, they think we're all making this shit up. The ads use a number of classic psychological strategies to help beat back the ire of pro-vapers. One CDC ad relies on anecdotal evidence to make its point. It features a story from an e-cigarette user, a 35-year-old wife and mother named Christy from Tennessee, who says she started smoking e-cigarettes, hoping to quit combustible cigarettes 
Instead, she began to smoke both until her lung collapsed. The American Vaping Association reportedly called the ad patiently dishonest, saying it implies vaping led to lung disease, when in reality, Christie had gone back to smoking cigarettes alone in the months before her lung collapsed. So, yay for the AVA. Um, California's anti-vaping campaign lists toxins that humans once thought were safe, arsenic-laced powdered wigs, radium therapy, and of course cigarettes, and compares them to e-cigs using a deceptive associative tactic that that the AVA has called out before. The backlash against those campaigns has been swift. In the battle between public health and e-cigarettes, e-cigs have one major advantage, a massive population of users, many of whom credit the product with helping them to quit smoking, and who loudly defend their choice to vape. One thread on the American Vaping Association's website collects anti-curbit tweets. VaporVanity.com, a pro-vaping site, quickly posed the question, are members of the San Francisco health department the stupidest human beings on the planet and pro vapors launched a site nearly identical to california's called notblowingsmoke.org that claim well basically everything the state said was a lie the state's facebook post was quickly taken over by angry vaping fans there is this hyper-aggressive social media response to anyone who doesn't think e-cigarettes are the greatest things ever, says Glance. Well, that's because you're an idiot, dude. They're trying to shut down any criticism, Derek, says Derek Smith of San Francisco's Tobacco Free Project. Uh, he and his older colleagues saw similar reaction decades ago when the city launched its first anti-smoking campaigns. In a perfect world, the safety of a fun, potentially helpful smoking cessation method wouldn't be left to nasty debates like this. The problem is, as in the early days of campaigns against cigarettes, there isn't a definitive evidence that e-cigarettes cause long-term harm, a point that pro-vapers will be quick to remind you of, but there also isn't a definitive evidence that says that they're safe. And there are many good reasons to assume they'll be found in time to increase cancer and heart and lung disease. ESIG people would like you to believe that because the evidence that we have on them is limited, that we don't know anything. And that's just not true, says Glance. Again, like we, you know, trust that asshole. There is a difference, he says, between not having evidence of an effect and having evidence of no effect. What firm science there is to rest on is fairly obvious. E-cigarettes are almost certainly less toxic and carcinogenic than regular cigarettes. But that doesn't mean that they're not a health hazard. We already know that you're breathing in a lot of toxic chemicals, which is bad, says Glantz. He also doesn't point out here, by the way, that if you're walking down the street of a major city, you're breathing in a lot of toxic shit. They don't ever want to give you perspective. They don't ever want to quantify things. And if they do quantify anything, they just give you the number, the quantitative number. Is that a word? I hope that's a word. If it's not a word, Upstomp's going to tell me at some point that I used a word that wasn't really a word. So if it's not, I'm sorry. I think it is, but I'm not positive. If they want to give us a number, they don't compare it to anything. That's the worst part. 
Um, a cigarette is by far, oh, in a way, the most dangerous consumer product ever invented. Oh, well, what about alcohol? Okay, anyway. So to say it's not as bad as a cigarette is not saying very much. Excuse me? It's called harm It It floors me. It floors me that they completely disregard harm reduction. It floors me. In the absence of incontrovertible evidence, then public health agencies have to continue to play a little dirty themselves to get citizens to pay attention. A little dirty? They're not playing a little dirty. They're just fucking lying. In a couple of years, researchers will begin to do association studies to pull out long-term health effects. Until that science rolls in, the prepare to sit back and enjoy the show. These two camps will be hashing it out for a while. Well, if these fucking people... I, I, you know, and I come back to this question constantly, over and over and over again. There's the link to the article, by the way. I come back to this question all the time. How the fuck is it that we prove to them that we are scientific proof? That the fact that we're all on the internet saying that we quit isn't anecdotal. How the fuck do we do that? That's what we need to do. I have one more video that I'm going to play for you guys. And um, this is the heart surgeon uh, details the benefits of e-cigs. Joined by Bijou from vapemoshi.com. And we actually have someone who is probably, and I'm being very serious, one of the most respected men in all of Canada. Uh, he's the chief of staff over at the Trillium, uh, Tr- Trillium Hospitals. Uh, his name is Dr. Gopal Batnagar. I get it? You did absolutely, Todd. Thank you very I, much. I did okay? Yeah. I did all right, Todd? Let's see if I can live up to your expectations, though. How about, how about, how about G? Can I just call yeah, you G? Absolutely G. Yeah, we'll, make, yeah. we'll make it easy. No, yeah, do, uh, yeah, Dr. Absolutely. G, Dr. Gopal. Uh, Dr. G is good. Dr. Uh, G is good. And with our friend, a recurring friend from the show, uh, a guy who has truly helped us uh, immensely because we met him at the Gentleman's Expo back in November. Jay Brody had a smoking problem. The whole goal of the new year, everyone has these resolutions. Everyone wants to take care of themselves. Everyone always says they're going to do stuff but never really do anything about it. All of a sudden, we managed this guy's expectations. He went on vapemoshi.com. He hasn't had a cigarette now in two months, and we're so proud of the guy. It's unbelievable, and this is a legit story, and that's why we want to thank Beiju, the founder, who also was once a smoker and now doesn't smoke, of vapemoshi.com. How you doing, my man? Todd, I'm doing great, man. I'm I'm happy to hear that Jay is still holding strong and doing well, and today we brought some backup, uh, have a little more uh, conversation about vaping. Yeah, I, I, this is wild because um, Dr. Gopal, of course, uh, Chief of Staff at Trillium, um, how long have you been doing heart surgery for? Well, uh, Todd, uh, yeah, probably just over, around 25 years now, been uh, doing opening hearts and trying to fix them up as best we can. 
it, it really is an amazing, an amazing story. And you've um, brought in some really new types of ways to do procedures, have you not? Well, we uh, you know, we do a lot of this beating heart surgery. We're one of the leading centers in Canada. Uh, doing that, that means being able to operate on the heart without using the heart-lung machine. You can you can still do a vast majority of number of operations without stopping the heart. So that less blood transfusions, better outcome for patients, and that's really what it's all about. My goodness, and, and you must have seen some some very tragic situations, but obviously you've saved thousands of lives, and, and kudos to you, man. I have so much respect for doctors, and I'm being very serious. You know, That's we have a fun show, and we always juvenile here, but it's, uh, it's an amazing, and you're extremely intelligent, man. Some of the things you see with the heart, heart yeah. defects, and, and obviously your years and years and years of mm-hmm. practice are generally, you know, and uh, maybe I shouldn't generalize, but yeah. are caused from smoking. Is that correct as yeah. well? 80% of all heart disease is caused by some sort of lifestyle problem. You know, uh, and the, what I've seen, and we know now it's coming up more and more, that even more important than cholesterol is uh, the risk of tobacco smoking. You know, so that's like number one. And it's, it's preventable. You know, so as like I said, the, you burn tobacco, really bad stuff comes out of it into your body. And, and what, is it, what are the effects on the heart from tobacco? Sure. So the effects on the heart are, are almost immediate. Your heart rate will go up. Uh, your actually arteries in your bu- uh, bloodstream kind of go into spasm, so the blood flow to your heart decreases. You can actually measure with an ultrasound and see the heart muscle function decline as people are, are smoking. Uh, it releases a whole bunch of chemicals into your bloodstream that causes inflammation in the heart, damages the inside of the, uh, the heart arteries, uh, as well as arteries in, in the whole body everywhere. You know. Are there seemingly healthy-looking individuals? Uh, they work out and they ride their bikes. Uh, you know, they, they have that strong jawline I've always wanted. <laughs> and I have to grow a goatee to cover up my, my kind of double chin here. Uh, and, but that actually internally, uh, because they're smoking, because they're not taking care of themselves, uh, actually, you know, they, they have terrible hearts. They just don't know it. Is, is, there, is there that confusion yeah, uh, sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, if you're smoking uh, and you're smoking tobacco, you can look fit, you can look great, uh, but it, the damage is you're kind of rotting on the inside. And, and uh, how young of patients will you work on? I do only adult surgery, so you know, under eighteen will go down to sick kids. That's usually problems with kids are born with a, a mm. problem with their heart congenital. You know, uh, the youngest person I've ever done a coronary bypass on would be about age twenty three. Coronary bypass, yeah. <laughs> Doing what you do, being a, a surgeon, a cardiac surgeon, and being the chief of staff at Trillium, I would imagine that there are a lot of people going, "Wow, we're hearing it right from uh, you know this expert." Uh, this guy who understands what it takes to save lives. But then you must have people who are like, um, Doctor, uh, Dr. Gopal, uh, you should not be saying this stuff. Are there a lot of people fighting you too on this stuff? He said that the science of it is, I'm happy to debate the science of it with, with anybody, you know, and I'm happy to always learn myself. I mean, I learned about this, and I'm always keeping track of the data, the science of it, pros and negatives. The issue really now is, is that, you know, if, uh, and we were talking about this out in the green room, is that if you think it's harmful, like, uh, you know, people say, what's well, a gateway to kids to start smoking cigarettes? Okay, well, that, that may be a fundamental concern, but then you go mm. out and you do the research, and then w- the research's actually been done. There's a huge study uh, of about uh, 12,000 individuals out of the UK that shows that in a market where e-cigarettes are very easy to get for kids and anybody, that only 0.22% of uh, vapors are actually youth. If you're not a smoker, this product really doesn't appeal to you. So that, that whole concern... Yeah. Really, it, the data doesn't support it. It's legitimate to have a concern, but I don't think that it, it's kind of a, you know, it's not the right thing to then just ignore the data because it doesn't kind of meet your, 
meet your idea. Well, and the gateway argument I hate, the gateway for children to start smoking. And I, I'm only t- doing this on, on a humility level, on a person who just is a layman and understands you had the peer pressure growing up in high school. You saw your boy smoking. You thought it was cool. You had a cigarette. And next thing you know, you were smoking a little bit more because it's a little bit addicting and all this kind of stuff. And then hopefully you have the wherewithal to realize you're damaging the yeah. fuck out of yourself. Yeah. So stop this. Uh, and, you know, with, with, with Vape Moshi, with e-cigs, whatever, you know, that data of you harming yourself is not the same data as it is with smoking. So even if there is an 18-year-old out there who grabs an e-cigarette or grabs a vape moshi, it's like, well, wouldn't you rather them do that? Wouldn't you rather them then go back to that if smoking came from it? If that makes sense, you know, like every cigarette hurts the human body. One cigarette hurts the human body. Is that not true? Well, we know, I mean, I couldn't really say that. Is that we know that, I mean, I tried cigarettes when I was a kid. Hated hated them, gave me a headache, I gave it up. I don't think I permanently damaged my health. Okay. Uh, But at the same time, we know, again, looking at the data, in everywhere that e-cigarettes have become popular, smoking rates have actually gone down. Wow. So if the idea was that cigarette, you know, e-cigarettes are a gateway to kids smoke, why are we not seeing kids smoking more? In fact, we're not. We're seeing them smoke less. And the kids that are using electronic cigarettes are the ones that were smoking tobacco. They're not supposed to be able to get tobacco, but yet somehow kids do. The... Uh, I'm not advocating, you know, sort of youth smoking. I mean, no, I think not at all. But you know, unfortunately, they find they, their they way. Find their way. They find their the way. Just, uh, so, you know, the, the public health messages that we're doing, they're bang on. You know, we need to make sure that kids understand it's dangerous, that everybody's dangerous. We don't want to make it look cool again. And I think that message is out there. But that message has run its course. You know, you can't make – I mean, everybody knows they're bad for you. People who are smoking know it's bad for you, but they can't get off it. So we just can't ignore – the practical realities of trying to, you know, of getting rid of burning tobacco in our society. I personally found the whole, um, the whole flavored, uh, flavored e-vape or e-juice uh, comparison and how that's a gateway. It's absurd because I'm in the I'm in the liquor store not too long ago looking at right. flavored liqueurs and flavored liquors and watermelon vodkas and and candy cane rum and all this crazy stuff. <laughs> but it's the truth though. There's a million different flavors now. Of liquor, and no one's saying, well, that's going to get kids to drink because it's properly regulated in a store and taxed. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, it was one of the things. It's such an absurd argument, and I think it's being used and propagated completely in the wrong way because it's just not the case. Well, and you're a great case study right now, G. Yeah. Brody. We're hanging out with Dr. Gopal Batnagar and Abeju Lakani, of course, from vapemoshi.com. Uh, and I find this stuff so intriguing. Listen, I smoke one or two cigarettes maybe a month. Mm-hmm. And even now, I don't do that because I just got a, I, I just got a vapemoshi.com. It's fun. Like, just for that one time, I'm, I'm yeah. maybe drunk and I would go and have a cigarette. I just pull this thing out of my pocket and I know it's like a better option for me. But Jay, to me, is a hardcore smoker. A guy who worked construction for years and years and years and that's kind of what you do on your breaks and I think it's it's huge just to take a break. You couldn't uh, take a break unless you were smoking. Yeah. The guys would yell at you. Like, hey, go back to work. You don't smoke. Go, go. That's how it was when I started, right? So, And, and honestly, though, you're feeling better, and you've you've wound down uh, quite well from this product. Yeah, I, I've you know, I don't smoke anymore. I, I use the, the Vape Moshi e-juices with, with the e-cig I have, and it's just it's been wonderful. It's easy. Um, but, you know, there's still a lot of, uh, unfortunate, there's a lot of oppo- opposition from all ends based, you know, about this stuff. And it's kind of, it just, the the further I get away from smoking, the more crazy all the opposition seems. Because a month ago, I was fucking, two months ago, I was going to die smoking cigarettes, smelling like shit, driving around <laughs> like, like a dick. And now I feel healthier. I can take bigger breaths. And I'm worried that this is going to start... 
you know, I, every time I open the paper, there's a there's a new study showing how beneficial it is, and then uh, you know, a, I saw a, a great study law. on CNN the other day right. uh, saying how we, we you know we posted on our Facebook page yeah. on, on how this stuff is good. But I mean, I just think it, let the person decide. You know, if, if it's good for them, then, then that's the, the way I think we should do this, uh, Doctor Gopal. Your experience now with people who go on this stuff, like, I, I, you know, you, you might have someone who had a heart surgery and they still need to smoke. It, they are helping themselves, are they not? At the end of the day, if they get off sm- smoking but need some sort of nicotine intake, are, are they helping them? Is that fair to say? Are they helping themselves? The number one thing is getting off burning tobacco. Okay. Uh, once they've done that, the nicotine itself, you know, I mean, we could do a whole show just on nicotine yeah. itself. It's uh, as a isolated from tobacco it's not as addictive as people might think you know is it and you can all argue well you know if you're using something that's relatively harmless then who cares if you're addicted uh, to it or not we're talking out in the green room i have people so addicted to running that they're burning out hip replacements interesting but they won't stop running i mean they're addicted to running we would say well that's great you know they're so healthy but they're running on artificial hips and you know they're going through that so we all have we've all got some weakness personal weakness and addiction but if just from a medical viewpoint and from society's viewpoint, what we want is people are not getting cancer, they're not getting heart disease, not getting emphysema. That is not only costing human misery, but look, I mean, half of all our tax money goes to health care. Right? You get people off burning tobacco, that's more money for you know welfare projects, for housing, for infrastructure. I mean, we're struggling to control health care costs, and I think this is could you know this could be a significant role in helping release money over the next couple of decades back out of healthcare. I mean, there's, there's a potential for that as well. Um, the harm, you know, just to go back to the science of it, because that's why that's what convinced uh, me to, uh, uh, to be in there. There's actually a very interesting new study uh, that uh, showed, because one of the concerns is, well, what happens to people standing around you know, the vapors? Uh, and uh, a really great study done just very recently shows that 99.9% of the vapor is uh, vaporized polyglycol, uh, which we is an ingredient in children's Tylenol, which we administer all the time. It's all over the place. Water. And the concentration of nicotine in the air is 0.06%. Okay? It's roughly about the same amount of nicotine you're going to get if you ate uh, two tablespoons of eggplant. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I understand nicotine is created in plants to prevent the bugs from eating their roots. Yeah. And so eggplant, I mean, it just happens, it's a high concentration of tobacco, obviously, but eggplant, root vegetables, they all have a certain amount of nicotine in them. So, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to put that into perspective for people who say, well, it's danger to bystanders. You can argue that, you know, if you're vaping, well, that's kind of your own choice. But you don't want to be puffing out stuff that might be potentially harmful. Dr. Farsalinos, who just published this research, shows that the you know any kind of cancer-causing agents like hydrocarbons, stuff like that, is the same as people breathing air. So if you're standing beside somebody who's vaping, you can be very confident now that there's nothing harmful coming out to you. Okay? Is there harm to the person that's taking it? It's debatable, yep. it's, but it's going to be incrementally, like so far below smoking uh, tobacco that... Even if there is something, it's going to be 99-plus percent safer. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Beju, do you have anything to add from baitmoshi.com? Yeah, I mean, when we were talking about the, the gateway issue and just about who should be using these products, it kind of got me thinking about it. And I, I just want to make sure that it's very clear from the business perspective. Look, we don't, we have no desire yeah. for non-smokers to be picking up these products, right? There, there's no interest on, on my part. I mean, there are a billion smokers on the planet today. <laughs> 
Do you know what it means for our business if even 10% of those people look at this product legitimately as a way to get off tobacco? Right? We don't need non-smokers. And frankly, I, I think that if you're out there and you know, you're thinking about vaping or smoking, don't do either. Breathe air. It's better. Right? At the end of the day, that's your best option. So stick to it. And you know, if you're a smoker, um, you know, take a long look at this. Yeah, because your whole goal, and we've talked about this, you've been on the show now four times, was you went through this. You're living, you're also, you're not one of these case studies. You smoked way too much. You were in a bad place. You said, you know what, i got to change my life. And that's helped for you. Right, of course. I mean, I, I, honestly, my, my story is just like Jay's, right? Uh, you know, I just, it was a couple years ahead, but what made it work was um, just just a gradual progression to vaping over smoking. Just like just like uh, Dr. Bhattacar just said, right? It was, it was not an immediate turning off of, of smoking and switching to vaping. It was gradual, and over time I quit completely, and I absolutely feel better because of it, and that's why that's why I started the company. You never smoked an eggplant? You never just lit up an eggplant yeah. to, you know, <laughs> to get the next thing? Do you remember that, remember that <laughs> Simpsons episode, the tobacco, whatever it was? The tobacco. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tomato and tobacco combined. <laughs> Beautiful tobacco. It's coming out next month from payposhi.com. <laughs> well, great stuff. I mean, listen, the only thing we try and do here is educate our listeners. Absolutely. We try and make them laugh, and we try and educate them, and we try and put a smile on their face, and we try and say, you know what? We walked away with something today that maybe will help us, whether it's inspiring them to do music or whether it's inspiring them to get off cigarettes and you know having a pro such as yourself dr gopal i can tell you really goes a long way so i can't thank you enough for your time uh you are an expert in what you do is there a way that people can get a hold of you if they truly have some more questions yeah you know i'm uh i, I i'm a neophyte on uh, social media but uh, i'm uh, my twitter thing is at dr gopal <laughs> Sorry, uh, I, i'm learning about that i also uh, i also found out uh, t- uh, that you know as far as i'm concerned sh- you know it should it, if you're sending a message on twitter shouldn't it be a twit but I understand, no, it's a tweet. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning. Yeah. I'm, I'm old, but I'm I learning. Know. You know? And uh, uh, absolutely. So they can they can get a hold of me on there, you know, between operations. I'm happy to try and respond uh, to things. Uh, I just want to commend you, Todd, on taking, a, you know, taking time out and doing some, you know, giving me the opportunity, getting uh, a socially relevant and, you know, healthcare information out to your listeners. It goes a long way because there's, uh, you, you have no vested interest uh, in this uh, yourself, except uh, improving the health of your listeners. And, I'm, you know, it's a pleasure to be here and help. You know, the one thing that I don't understand is I really don't understand it. And this is a guy who smokes one cigarette a month probably, and I still do the odd time. I'm being very honest. I'm, I, I'm like full transparency. My emotions are all on my sleeve. It's disgusting, and I and I, I like I have this resentful feeling. It's like when I used to masturbate when I didn't realize it's okay for us to do that kind of stuff. I'm being serious, but now, but I know it is so bad for you. And the second you get older in life, and I'm talking to you, 22 year olds right right now who think you're invincible. The second you start to age, and it's so sad, you don't want to, but the second you do, and you start to realize that people go through these things, lung cancer and stuff, and you see the suffering that comes from it, heart disease, all this stuff. Stop now. Start living your lives better because you know what? These are your prime years, man. And I'm talking to you 25-year-olds to, you know, 40, 45-year-olds. Live it healthy because you want to be healthier down the road as well. And all this stuff legitimizes it. And I don't know if it's good or if it's bad or whatever. The only thing I know is that smoking is shit, and I know that for sure. And I think that's what it comes down to, and I'm proud of Brody. Yeah, just Absolutely. just to add one quick thing, as, as like a former heavy smoker, I always thought like there would be not like I tried the gums, the sprays. I'm spraying gum in my mouth. I'm <laughs> putting spraying stuff in a humidifier, <laughs> wearing the stickers and the tattoos, and eating the stamps and whatever the hell they gave me to to get off. And I and nothing worked. Nothing even came close to working. And then the first time I tried uh, the vape Moshi was just like, oh, shit, there it is. Like, it was just like an aha moment where I was like, okay, this works. And it was, 
no looking back after that. So I'm thankful for for um, for them. For he's for lost five pounds some, in a month and a half. Well, it has nothing to do with that. No, it does. I think you're eating. You're, you're, you're eating, and you find people's taste improves. Yeah. You know, their their coughing uh, goes away. And because you actually have that ritual behavior, what you call it, you know, what you're saying is that ritualistic behavior of that oral mouth, that kind of yeah. thing, that actually prevents people from doing the other thing that what happens to people that stop smoking is eating. Oh, and interesting. So most people, yeah. when they stop smoking, will gain 15 to 20 pounds because there are chemicals in tobacco that cause you to, you know, that are appetite suppressants. But ah. also you have nothing to do with your hands and your hands, your mouth. And uh, so it, it, it fills that gap. And that's what I find so compelling is that it fills the gap. You know, if everybody, you know, unfortunately you have people that say, oh, it's a dirty, disgusting habit. People should just like quit, give up. Uh, you know, just, you just got to be strong-willed. I was quite frankly, you know, I'll admit one of those people that says, look, why don't they just quit? But the more, as a physician, I've got to stand back and, you know, I've got to say, well, people need help. How can we help them? Where can we help them? And so if we need to approach it, we need to approach smokers, uh, people who are smoking, with a little more empathy. You can't just write off 15% of your society uh, and, and forget about them. And I think that vaping has come out because the medical community and you know, other, uh, other people have kind of written off smokers and said, you know, un- unless we can make money out of you from, from taxes and selling you drugs, that's all you're good for. You know, maybe that's a strong statement, but the more I, I see that we've got be still 15% of our population smokes. Wow. Okay? I mean, that's a lot of people. Half of those people are going to try and quit this year. Exactly. Good you stuff. Know. And and you have a nice little community now. This you know this this vaping community. I, I you know it's neat to see this little supportive community as well because yeah. most of them are former smokers and all they share these common stories, which is basically living a healthier life. Yeah. And that's the best part, I think, about it. Well, listen, uh, uh, Beju, thank you very much from VapeMoshi.com. Uh, Dr. Gopal uh, Batnagar, please, uh, anytime you want to come back on oh, the program, any studies you have, anything you would like to talk about, I know you're an advocate of this stuff. And more importantly, man, I know you're just an awesome uh, cardiac surgeon, and, and you, you save lives. And, and at the end of the day, uh, I've never saved a life. Jay Brody, have you? Uh, 14 times, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm a hero, guys. I'm a hero. If, if some of your listeners actually use this opportunity to get off yeah. uh, cigarettes, you have. Well, and, and maybe that's our little part that we can do. And it's yeah. the same thing, you know. So uh, we all try and do our part, and that's the most important thing. That's what evolution is, friends. Thank you again for hanging out with us here on Canada Labs Later. Channel 168. There you go, guys. Um, yeah, spam that, spam that shit everywhere. <laughs> you know. So there are medical professionals that are starting to make some sense. Um let me see if I can grab this one too. I got one more for you. Nope, I don't, because it's not going to play. Okay, um, well, and that's all I have for you guys tonight. I am going to go watch my buddy Jibba uh, shave his head in his drive for <clears throat> a fundraiser. 
for St. Baldrick's. I will see you all next week. Um, next week is DIY. And, oh yeah, I will have a whole host of flavors from Flavor Art to talk about. So um, that is one of the reasons I will be at uh, VPX ECC in Niagara Falls on Saturday. And uh, yeah, I'm going to have fun. So I will see you all next week. Bye, guys. <laughs>